What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? The other 50% of the podcast, Kevin Valentin here. Kyle, happy Monday, my boy. Yes, sir. Same to you. Got some food in me, got a shower, just ready to rock and roll. What about you? Yeah, man, had some food. Um, currently dealing with my puppy being a little uh, bit of a psychopath, but now that that's before, behind us, wait, 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 <laughs> I'm wait, ready wait. to record. Before, before we start, what did you have to do with your dog? Because you were going about five minutes strong before we started recording about it. Well, guys, you know how it is when you get a new dog. Uh, you know, you try to get him toys, you try to get him comfortable, and all these kind of things. So I've had my dog since March 26th. We're going on four months. He is seven months, and he still has this tendency where he likes to chew up all his toys, like most dogs. Uh, except he gets to a point when the toy is kind of demolished uh, to the point of no return. He tries to eat it, whether that's string, plastic, or anything else that he can get his paws on. And Kyle and I are working on, you know, a script or, you know, like a, an agenda to discuss. And as me and Kyle are like locked in trying to get this stuff ready for you guys, my dog looks up at me, eye contact right here in the eyes. And he's just sitting there chewing on a big piece of string that he ripped off one of his toys. Like, Hey dad, like, you know, like as a first time pet parent here, I'm just sitting here like panicking, like shit. I read that like String is like the worst thing for a dog because it doesn't digest and it sits in their small intestines and it leads to problems down the road. So like I have to go like be a doctor and like m like pin my jaw's mouth my dog's mouth open and like like dip my whole hand down his throat and like get a freaking string the length of a piece of dental floss out that he swore to God was totally fine and then wash my hands to come back and find him chewing it again and I'm just like. I know he's a puppy, like I know he's a dog, I know he doesn't know any better, but it's just like Jesus Christ, like if he only knew how bad that could be for him like later down the road. So I had a parent moment, a puppy parent moment, we've passed it, he found another toy, and we're good, we're fine. I'm washing his bed that he peed in, it's fine, we're working on it, we're gonna get through it. Bro, the dad moments just increase every single day with this dog, don't they? Uh, Yeah, kind of. Uh, no regrets, though. I've wanted a dog my whole life. It's not as hard as I thought it would be. It's just there's certain moments where you look at him and you're just like, why are you doing that? <laughs> Bro, that's what makes it fun, though. So, Sometimes. Me, I've been there, done that. Like, my my dog, when we first got him, uh, we used to get him, like, these chew toys. Uh, and they would be filled with, uh, like, that the white stuffing inside, the, just the material that they put inside the, the chew toys. He'd rip that thing apart and start eating the stuffing inside the, the chew toy. Just some, like... Dude, what are you doing? Like, come on. Yeah. So we, I get it. You know, I understand. It's just sometimes, you know, when when you read things as a first time pet owner at 26, you're like, oh my god, he can't do that. Oh my god, that's so bad for him. Or like, oh my god, I cannot let him eat that. And then you see him eating the thing it says not to, and you're just like, no. <laughs> Dude, do, do you have uh, squeaky toys for for him? I have two. He broke the squeaker on one. And the other toy has a string at the end of it. It's it's a it's a Kong toy. It's a super long like <laughs> thing right here. And then like he's been like destroying this shit. And like it 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 squeaks very light, so now he's gonna come. But like he likes to play tug of war and he likes to like play with it and stuff like that. So like he doesn't really chew here. As you can see, this is almost perfectly intact. He's destroyed this. He and this is rope. what he's been eating. He likes the rope part. My dog does the same thing. It's either that yeah. or 
I, I saw my dog earlier today, and we have, like, this big-ass bone that we've had for him for, like, a year and a half to two years. We've had it for basically as long as we've had him. And every now and then, he'll just, he'll lay down on the couch and just start, he'll just start nibbling on it, just piece by piece. But, yeah, like, it, it, it's usually the ropes that they like or the squeaky toys. Like, I know with my dog, he loves the squeaky toys. He'll squeak those things until, like, either the squeaker doesn't work anymore or he just rips it apart. But, I get him the silent squeaker because he won't stop doing the squeaky thing, like, while I'm working because I work from home. And he'll walk around. And he'll have it in his mouth, and all he'll do is just bite down, and all I hear is squeak, 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 like all day for like thirty minutes straight. And I'm like, "Bro, I'm in a meeting with clients. Like, I, I, I cannot have you squeaking a toy. Let alone he's in the he's already in the background of the camera. Like, like hey, like I'm here, and then he's just sitting there with a freaking mint green toy in his mouth, like beep, beep, beep. And I'm just like, no, 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 It's like, dude, you're on call. He starts squeaking the toy, and someone in the background's going like. The hell is that squeaking going on in the background? Is someone like chewing on a toy? Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, a lot of my clients and you know coworkers are understanding because you know with the whole quarantine situation from last year, a lot of the animals got attached to their owners, and us working remote until next year. Thankfully, um, I'm able to raise him and get him trained and certain things like that. So they, a lot of people are understanding to the point where they know if you're home, you either have a kid or you have an animal. So what, it's one or the other. But he's he's fine for the most part. I just had a little bit of a panic attack as a, as a dad really quick saying, Oh wait, let me get, give me the damn toy before I beat you with it. <laughs> Not literally, but it's just like, ah, you get scared. You know, you don't want the, the animal to get hurt. And you're just you like, get, dude, come on. Like, uh, you've been here long enough to know not to do this. It's, it's you acting on the fly. It's you being a dad. Yeah. So, I mean, I know we got plenty of other things to talk about rather than that. And you know, like, I know you have an agenda for us. So like, what's on the tab today, big guy. All right. So, we're going to talk about maybe three or four topics in today's episode. Uh, we're going to talk about game four between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns. We'll do a quick preview and a prediction of game four between those teams. So currently the series stands at 2-1 in favor of Phoenix. But we'll dive into that once we get through the agenda. After that, we'll talk about UFC 264. Obviously, the big fight of the weekend was Conor McGregor going up against Dustin Poirier. Um I won't go too much into depth about it right now, but we had Dustin Poirier win against Conor McGregor after the first round. If you guys hadn't seen it, which I'm pretty sure you guys have at this point, Conor broke his leg. He's already gotten surgery on it, and he's going to be out for an extended period of time, but we'll dive into that topic a little bit later. After that, we'll talk about Major League Baseball. So currently, the All-Star festivities are going on at this current moment. we got the Home Run Derby, but we'll talk about... The biggest surprise that we've seen in baseball this year and the biggest disappointment so far. So that should be an interesting topic. And then to round out the episode, Kevin was going off when we were setting up the agenda for this topic. Uh, Team USA lost another exhibition game. Uh, it's their second one in a row. They lost this one to Australia by the score of 91-83. to 83. I'm going to let Kevin have the floor with that one. Um, he's going to go off just to kind of give you guys a quick preview of what's going to come when that segment arrives in the episode. But that's the rundown for the episode. Like I mentioned, we're going to talk about Game 4 of the NBA Finals between the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks. So currently, like I said, the series stands at 2-1 in favor of Phoenix. Uh, Milwaukee showed up in Game 3. Giannis had a dominant performance, had 41 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists. 
Drew Holiday had a solid comeback game after the first two games he struggled in games one and two. And Chris Middleton had a solid game altogether. I believe he had like 18, 19 points and was about 50% for the fields. But all in all, Milwaukee definitely showed up in game three. So, Kev, the stage is set for you. We got game four between the Suns and the Bucks. Uh, who do you have winning game four and why? Um, we talked about it last night in our segment really quick to kind of, when we went on our deep dive, I'm still kind of stuck. Uh, I want to say that Phoenix is going to take a commanding 3-1 lead because I feel like Monty will be able to make adjustments. However, the undeniable fact that Giannis Antetokounmpo is an actual walking mismatch just leads me to believe that Milwaukee's going to find a way to win another one at home. I mean, this wasn't just a squeak. This wasn't just a, a game winner. This was a blowout. And typically in blowout fashion, uh, the team that wins gains a lot of momentum. And sometimes would, some would say that the momentum shifts in favor of the team that blew out the other. So, you know, with, with Devin Booker not having the most efficient finals in the, first, uh, in the last two games, um, the, uh, the, the lack of consistency at the center position from DeAndre Ayton and the injury to Dar- Daro Saric. Dario Saric? Dario, Dar- right? Dario, yep. Yeah, Dario Saric to you know, lose depth at the four and the five position in terms of bench uh, de- bench production and, and, and bench depth uh, just leads me to believe Milwaukee is probably going to take game four um, unless Phoenix legitimately doubles Giannis every single possession and lets the role players like Chris Middleton, uh, Drew Holiday, and, and a list of other players beat them. I don't know if Phoenix is going to be able to combat Giannis because – Let's be frank. The man has a hundred and what? Six? hundred three points. hundred and three points in three games. Oh my God. I just got the notification for Team USA Basketball. I can't wait to dive into that later, guys. I don't think you understand. Like, my anxiety is absolutely off the charts. But we'll get to that in a couple minutes. Um, so if I had to put a bet on it, uh, I think Milwaukee takes game four. I think it's a little bit closer. I think Devin definitely has a more efficient night. I think that the role players for Phoenix continue to step up and do what they need to do. DeAndre Ayton got into a, a good rhythm early, but with the foul trouble later in the game, he pretty much was a non-factor later in the game. So I think that he continues his hot streak, at least to start the game. And if Devin can see the ball go in early, if Chris can continue the pace that he's going, I think this game will be close. But I don't see anybody on this Phoenix roster that's going to be able to even slow Giannis down unless you legitimately double him or hack him at every point that he touches the ball. And at that point, you're going to lose players to be eligible to play in this game because he touches the ball every possession. I'm going to go with Milwaukee here. I think it's going to be a lot more competitive than it was in game three. I mean, a 20-point blowout in game three, that was something I was not expecting. I mean, I picked Milwaukee to win game three. Not in that fashion, though. So... Kind of piggybacking off of your point that you made, I expect Devin Booker to have a bounce-back game in Game 4. He was 3 of 14 in Game 3. It's very rare that you see those types of performances from Dev. He's had a sensational playoff run up until this point, and I'm not going to be surprised if he goes out there at least scores 20, 25, possibly 30 points. This is a big bounce-back game for him, so I definitely expect that from him. Chris Paul, look, even though that he didn't, have what I've considered the best night in game three. He was very efficient from the field, chipped in about 20 points, and was still hitting his mid-range jumpers like it was a walk in the park. So I expect him to do the same thing. But 
the issue for Phoenix is they have to contend with Giannis. And they have not found a way to even slow him down remotely. And in Game 3 in particular, I think Phoenix was so worried about protecting the paint from Giannis that it left the perimeter open and the Bucks were able to knock down their shots in Game 3. Now, in Game 4, I don't think that Milwaukee is going to be able to knock down the three-point shots that they did like they did in Game 4. Excuse me, in Game 3. Because you had Drew Holiday. I believe he was 50% behind the three-point line. He knocked down five of his ten threes. And there was a point in the third quarter in Game 3 where he went off. I don't think that's going to be the case here. I think Drew is going to have... I don't want to say a comeback down to earth game. I just don't think he's going to be as good as he was in game three. I think Chris Middleton is going to actually have a solid game. I think he's going to get somewhere around 25 points altogether. But I think Giannis is going to drop another 35 plus. I just don't see a matchup that Phoenix can present him that would tell me that, okay, we got a good matchup here against Giannis. And if DeAndre Ayton gets into some sort of foul trouble again, like he did in game three, Giannis is going to get 40 points easy. So that's going to be the real key here is can they lock the paint down to the point where Giannis has to kick it out and then the Suns, you know, are going to live and die with Milwaukee's role players making shots. You know, in game three, Milwaukee's role players showed up. You know, Drew Holiday showed up. Uh, we had Pat Connaughton show up. We had um, Bobby Porter show up, like, you know, th- these guys provided huge minutes for Milwaukee in Game 3. I still think they're going to be able to do it to a certain extent in Game 4. I don't know how effective they're going to be, but I think it's going to be just enough to get by Phoenix in Game 4. You know, if, if I had to put a score on this, both teams have been able to score in this series, so I do expect this to be a high-scoring affair. If I had to put a score on it, I think the Bucks win 115-110. to 110. Because I do think that the Suns are going to keep this game close. I don't think it's going to be a runaway like we saw in Game 3. I I think this is going to be probably one of the most compelling matchups of the the series, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I I don't see Milwaukee rolling over and letting Phoenix come back. But I also don't see Phoenix allowing uh, Milwaukee to kind of like stampede over them two in a row. So uh, it's going to be a tight game. Bottom line is, at the end of the day, when you look at it from a, a basketball perspective... Would you rather have one player beat you for 40 or a team cumulative 30 to 40 points and that star player kind of have a a lesser efficient game? You know, because Giannis is usually efficient for the most part from within the restricted area. You know what I mean? So whether that's a layup, a dunk, uh, a a post fadeaway off the bottom bottom hash or the block – so, I mean, we'll see what happens. I think Monty will make adjustments to at least try to slow him down as best as humanly possible, whether that's a transition into a zone or what. But that Phoenix offense needs to be 10 times more efficient, and it starts with Devin Booker for sure. And Phoenix has to be more aggressive on the boards. Oh, they yeah. have been getting roasted in the last two games in particular, even though that they won game two. Milwaukee out-rebounded them by a mile, and the same thing occurred in game three. I don't think it was by a mile. I think, I think, uh, in I game think two it was. In, ga- in game two, in game, game two, two? in game two it was. They, they got out rebounded, but the Suns still won. I don't think it was a mile though. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm almost positive. It was like a, a three or four total rebound difference between the two. I think when we were going maybe, over. Maybe I'm thinking, maybe I'm thinking offensive rebounds. 
Yeah, yeah offensive. Think. Offensive rebounds for sure. Phoenix got blown up, but total rebounds, uh, I think it was a closer game than what we're anticipating or what what, what we're remembering. But, Nevertheless. But, but, but even Nevertheless. so, M- Milwaukee has been solid with the yeah. boards through oh, yeah. the first three games of the series. So, And it largely goes to the idea of, look, Milwaukee just has better depth at the four and five spots. You know, I, granted, I know we talk about Dario Saric a little bit here. You know, he's a role player to a certain extent, but man, just having the body out there at this point would have been just decent for Phoenix and not having him out on the court. You know, when you lose that, that type of player who's seven feet tall, you know, it, it definitely hurts your rebounding numbers. And we have seen that. Even though DeAndre Ayton has played solid throughout the first three games of the series, I actually thought that in game three, he started off on fire. Yeah. It's just that he got into foul trouble, like you mentioned, and he just could never get into a consistent rhythm again. But I don't expect that to be the case. I expect DeAndre Ayton to be in better a better place with the fouls in game four. So I think this is going to be a really compelling game. More compelling than game three. Game three was a runaway. I mean, compelling is, is, is one way to put our next segment, only because... The way that UFC 264 ended was a. I mean, what's the word I'm looking for, Kyle? I mean, compelling isn't exactly what I would word with it, but I mean, questionable. It didn't end the way that people wanted it to end. It was yeah. it was unfortunate. That's really kind of the best way that I could describe it. It was unfortunate the way that UFC 264 ended. So, obviously, Kyle and I are talking about the unfortunate ending to the McGregor fight, and Conor McGregor broke his leg at the tail end of the first round, right? Yeah. He I don't remember his, which round it was. Yeah he, yeah, he broke his leg at the end of the first round. And that ended in a loss for McGregor because of a doctor's ruling, doctor's decision. I, I'm, I'm not a UFC person, so I don't know the terminology, so excuse me. I just happened to catch the fight because I was out and about with my girlfriend and her family. Uh, bottom line... That's not the fight everybody paid for. That's not the fight that everybody wanted. And it has kind of created a different narrative for Connor and his camp, as well as for UFC as a whole. And Kyle, you being the UFC buff uh, out of the two of us, should I say, um, what do you think this does for his reputation? The comments that he had prior to the fight, some people say he extended a little past uh, the fight, or should I say past UFC, and then post-game or post-fight, some people say he looked a little arrogant with his Scarface comment. So, I mean, I, I just want to get your thoughts. Like, is Conor McGregor trying to keep himself relevant with all his post and pre-fight antics? Or is this just who he is and you know, UFC has to deal with it? It's probably a little bit of both. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. Conor has never been the same after that Floyd fight. You know, the way that I've seen it is, you know, Conor was the biggest attraction that the UFC had the had to offer about four to five years ago. And he was solid. He was a two-time belt holder, which back then was damn near unheard of. And the way that he was able to propel himself to the top of the UFC, the way that he was able to interact with the fans, his just his apathetic approach to his dominance in the UFC up to that point, it was something that a lot of people really enjoyed. And since then you've seen Connor really slip. 
He did have the one win against Cowboy Cerrone before all the COVID stuff happened in 2020. And in the couple of fights that he's fought since then, they've been against Dustin Poirier. And Dustin's put him to work in the two fights. Now, granted, you know, this fight only went one round. But even so, Dustin was killing Connor in the first round. I thought Connor started out the first round well, and then Dustin got control. He had Connor on his back for the second half of the first round, and it was just grounded pound from Dustin, and Dustin was really laying some good shots on Connor. Connor was actually really lucky to get out of that first round, um, disregarding the leg break. So, and that's really kind of the one issue that I've seen from Connor's game is that once he gets on his back, he does he hasn't found an effective way to get back up and get it into a position where, wow. you know, he has the advantage because th- Connor is primarily a boxer. He's primarily a striker. And a lot of the losses that we've seen from Connor, it's usually when he ends up on the, he usually ends up on the ground and he can't get back up because it takes a lot of strength to get back up when you've got a guy who has top position and he's just wailing shots on you from that position. So to a certain extent, I think fighters across the UFC are, are figuring out Connor is that if you just get him on his back, he's going to tire himself out. And then that's when you can really take advantage and defeat Connor in a match. As far as the comments go, look, Connor has always been braggadocious. He's never been one to hold anything back. So that part really doesn't surprise me. I just thought the comments here that he said uh, after the fight, after he broke his leg, we're just out of pocket. I didn't like the things that he said about Dustin's wife um, with Dustin and his wife in the ring while he was getting interviewed by Joe Rogan. That's just, that's just not something that you do. And, and like you said, even before the fight, it seemed like Connor really made this personal between him and Dustin. And the only quote that I could think of in my head here is a quote from the dark Knight from two face was um, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And I really think that's what we're seeing. Connor Connor was the darling of the UFC for, you know, five to six years ago. And ever since it's been slowly going down for, it's been slowly going downhill from him ever since. And I'm not going to say that Connor's washed at this point. He's only 32 years old. I think it's a little bit too premature to say that, but he needs to really get it together. He's he's gonna have to take some time off, reevaluate his situation in the UFC. And I'll be honest with you, is it really worth is it really worth it for him to continue this trajectory in the UFC? I think he's definitely motivated to get back into the ring and compete again. It's just that how effective is he gonna be? It does seem like the competition around him is getting better. And unless he makes some adjustments in his game, Connor could just literally be obsolete within a year or two. And at that point, you kind of look at him and his career as like, bro, is it worth it anymore? Because, you know, Connor was this big guy because he was winning in the UFC. Everybody loved him because he was winning. But now that he's losing and with all this chirping going on, it doesn't look good and it doesn't re- it doesn't really reflect well on him. So I think Connor's best course of action here is to just relax for the next couple months, obviously recover. And 
figure out some new tactics, figure out some new techniques to throw your competition off because he's too predictable. And until he changes that, you're going to see similar results to what you saw in this fight, even though that it was only one round against Dustin. But Dustin is clearly the the better fighter here, and it showed. And Dustin definitely deserves the title fight that he's going to have between himself and Charles Oliveira within probably the next couple of months or so. So all in all, you know, it was a big disappointment that we didn't get to see a full Connor versus Dustin fight. Essentially, this was the trilogy fight between them. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if we do see these two fight again, just because this one was so short. But yeah, all in all, I would say that this matchup was a disappointment just because of the injury to Connor's leg. I mean, just from looking at, Looking from the outside on in, obviously, for those of you that watch us on the regular, I'm not normally the UFC guy. I'm not the guy that usually takes or has takes on these fights that happen over the weekend. I just happen to be out and about with my girlfriend and her family, like I had said before the episode or as the episode had started. And I saw some of the preliminaries and saw some of the main card. And, you know, you get to the Connor fight, you see what happened and you're just like, well, wow. And you do some research and, you you know, you, you me being the person that I am, like, the animosity towards the post-fight interview between both Dustin and Connor and some of the trash talking that was going on. I was like, wow, that seems very intense. I'm assuming that means Connor probably ran his mouth. And you look at what Connor said about, you know, like Kyle said, his wife, and I'm going to kill you. I'm going to put you in a coffin and all these kind of things. And you look at it overall and you're like, is Connor saying these things to remain relevant? Like I had asked Kyle. And, uh, you know, Kyle answered – uh, as best as he could. And I, it wasn't the answer that I wanted because I'm just looking at this from a, a business perspective. And you look at it like Connor has literally lost the last couple of fights he's fought, excluding the Cowboy fight. And Connor's always been the, the cocky, brash, just the, the outgoing, overspoken kind of fighter. And like how also stated, you know, when he was winning, it was great. Everybody loved the attitude. Everybody loved the charisma and the energy he brought to the, the octagon. And, and now he's losing. And he's, it's almost like because he's losing, he's crossing the line to get more people to watch his fight or prepare to see him fight. And it's unfortunate that UFC kind of rules this as a loss because of an injury. I feel like that's a little messed up, but I'm not going to get into that because obviously I'm not too familiar with the actual rules that go into UFC. But I agree with Kyle. I think another fight should definitely happen just because it ended the way that it did. A lot of people paid money to see this fight, or should I say the trilogy that it was going to be, you know, the conclusion. But, you know, with this ending and an unfair decision and Dustin being as confident as he was post-fight, um... I would assume Dustin would have no problem with, with, with signing for another one, or should I say signing for a fourth, or should I say the real third fight. And uh, Kyle, uh, Kyle said it best. I mean, Connor's got to come prepared. Connor's got to come ready with some different things because if Dustin continues the role that he's on in terms of you know doing what he's got to do to Connor, it may not bode well for McGregor. So that was my little tippet on UFC, and I'm proud of myself for being able to hold a conversation that far. And by conversation, I mean, you know, give at least somewhat of a take. And <laughs> that catapults us into the next topic. Wait, 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 wait. hold up. I'm oh, not going to let you off the hook. That I'm not going to let you off the hook. I heard you talking. I heard you talking. Talking about, you know, I didn't answer your relevance point. I, I heard that. The, the reason why... Um, I didn't necessarily answer it the way that you were probably expecting is because Connor is just like the name itself is relevance. 
Like, yeah. he brings that type of show when he's fighting. I mean, when you look at the pay-per-view numbers when Connor's on a fight, they're like double or triple compared to like some other UFC fighters who are big in their own right. It's just that Connor is that dude, or used to be that dude. It's just, you know, the last couple of fights, he really hasn't shown the world or he hasn't really shown me that, you know, that he's a championship contender anymore. And that, and that kind of sucks because, you know, I want Connor to succeed. I think everybody wants to see him succeed in some sort of way. And even if he loses, as long as he's competitive, that's just what people want to see. They know what he's capable of. But Connor, when it comes to his relevance, if he's on a card, there's his relevance. You know, even with him losing these last couple fights against Dustin, people are still going to be drawn into Connor simply because it is Connor. He is the notorious. Like, there's no other way for me to say it other than that. I will say this, though. It's like I mentioned with the, you either die a hero or live long enough to become a villain. Connor has to really, I think, adjust his his shit-talking. Because I think it's starting to rub people the wrong way. In this one in particular, he came off very personal to the point where it crossed the line. And Connor has, like I said... He's not one to hold things back. It's just that I don't think people are tolerating it as much anymore because he's losing. I think when he was winning, people kind of turn a blind eye to it or they didn't really focus too much on it. But with Connor still in the UFC, and trust me, Dana White knows how big of a revenue generator that Connor is for the UFC. So his relevance is always going to be around, you know. Unless he really unless he really falls off, and it's too premature for me to say that. But yeah, by and large, he's going to be relevant in the UFC for the foreseeable future, even despite these losses. I I can't I can't go too far and say that he's just irrelevant with all the trash talking that he does. He's always done that. So, but by and large, you know, you did a good job. You did a good job. I, I do what I can. You know, the fans have spoken. And by the fans, I mean myself. You know, I tend to watch our segments and our videos and say, damn, I wish I had more to say. Thankfully, I was in the right place at the right time to be able to give some feedback on this particular situation. But it's not my forte. It's not, it's not my thing. You know what I'm saying? I know that everybody has their niche. And this UFC, the NHL is definitely more of your realm. And I'm just happy I was able to partake in something. Well, and this is kind of, this is something that I think is important is because like for me, it took a while to get a, a better understanding of the UFC. It didn't happen overnight. It's like with anything, you kind of have to, you have to watch the fights and you have to be kind of drawn into it. So it, it took me like, I don't know, three to six months to actually be excited about it and, you know. I got excited about it because I had a better understanding of the fighters. Okay, who's good, who's decent, and who's so-so. And then once you kind of have like that baseline of knowledge, it just goes up and up and up from there. Even with the NHL, like you mentioned. Like, you know, I don't have an extensive knowledge about the NHL. You know, I know some of the players, but, you know, that's something that I'm continually working on. And, you know, going into next season, you know, I know this – NHL season's over with, but 
I want to talk a little bit more about the NHL because look, th- that's something that you and I could talk about. Like those are those are topics that we could hit on future episodes. I'm not saying that we're going to come off as the most intelligent analysts when it comes to the NHL, but the fact that we could at least hold a conversation about something NHL related or UFC related, you know, that's definitely going to be, you know, it, it's going to show some diversity in our content. So that's definitely something that, you know, that's something that we're, we're still working on. You know, like this year for me, like baseball is like my year of like ingratiating myself back into the sport because I really hadn't watched it that much in the last couple of years. And I'm, and I'm catching up. I'm not going to be perfect when it comes to my analysis or my commentary on that. And I, I'm fully aware of that, I'm, but I'm okay with making those mistakes. And, you know, just, you know, take it this for what it's worth. You know, even though that you have a limited knowledge about the UFC, like something is better than nothing, you know, and just if you just kind of, you know, brick by brick with it when it comes to your knowledge of building your knowledge about the sport of UFC, bro, that, that, that's all that I can ask. Like, you know, if you're at least, I mean, you got to the point where you, you at least know somewhat about the fight that took place over the weekend. Like that's, you know, I remember like we would talk about this a couple weeks ago and you'd have like no idea like what took place. So. You know, it's a little bit of improvement. Like that's that's really cool. I I'll take the points where I can get them. Speaking of points, um, Kyle and I have a pretty big MLB point to get to, and I'm very curious to hear what Kyle has to say about this. So we are at the halfway point of the MLB season, mm-hmm. and we are currently in the midst of a home run derby in which neither of us are following. At least I can speak for myself. I was watching the early first part of it. In which you know Trey Mancini, uh, Otani, you know like um, God, what the hell is this man? Oh, Soto, Soto. I knew I couldn't forget it. I couldn't couldn't remember his first name. Juan Soto and 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 the litany of other players that were going on uh, during the game is currently active, which means that the season is at a halt. You know we're at the All Star break, so Kyle and I are going to kind of go over our biggest surprises thus far in the season and our biggest disappointments. Kyle kind of led with the UFC, so I'm kind of going to just take the head of on this segment and say, um, for me, my biggest surprise is going to be the competitiveness of the NL West. And I'm looking here, and I'm just seeing, first and foremost, the defending World Series champions aren't even in first place, which is absolutely incredible because they're 21 games over 500. But that 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 that's not that's not the part that I'm curious about or the part that I'm interested in. The top three teams in order are the Giants, the San Francisco Giants at 57 and 32. Not a soul saw the Giants being in the position that they're in and leading the NOS. The Dodgers are in second at 56 and 35, and the San Diego Padres, behind the freaking power of Fernando Tatis Jr., are at 53 and 40. So, Kyle, who in the hell is your surprise? Because Lord knows the NL West is nowhere near what the hell I thought it was going to be this point in the season. You know what I'm going to talk about. I mentioned it a couple months ago in our, like, surprises in the MLB season so far. Bro, it's Shohei Otani. Like, this dude is just different. Like, you know, I always kind of thought of him as, like, a Swiss Army knife with the fact that he could pitch well, he could field well, and he could hit well. And 
I'm just amazed at the fact that he's leading the league in the majors with the most home runs up until the All-Star break. And his pitching is just as good. I mean, he's not going out there and starting, you know, you know, every like three or four days. But the fact of the matter is, is that his ERA is pretty solid for the starts that he's had. He has an above 500 record. And not only that, you know, he, he just does it all. Like, I'm just amazed at what he can do. The fact that, you know, he's taking leaps and bounds from where he was last year to where he is currently. I was not expecting that. You know, I thought he was going to be, you know, a moderate power hitter. You know, maybe by the end of the year, he would get like 30 home runs. I didn't think he was going to get 33 home runs by the All-Star break. I don't think anybody saw that. And the fact that he's outpacing Fernando Tatis Jr., Vladimir Guerrero Jr., like these guys are certified home run hitters. These guys hit dingers. They can rake. The fact that his versatility is so defined, the fact that he could hit and compete and outcompete home run hitters like that, be able to pitch well and field, like you're never going to see anybody anybody like that within probably the next generation or so. You know, it's I know people kind of always make these comparisons about Babe Ruth and like, you know, Listen, Shohei Itani is not Babe Ruth, though. Like, Babe Ruth hit freaking 714 home runs. You know, I don't think Shohei Itani is going to hit 700 home runs. But the versatility that he brings to the game is astonishing. And to be quite honest with you, it's something we'll probably never see again. I just, that's what really kind of like my biggest surprise of, of the baseball season so far. I mean, Otani, for a fact, is so out of the norm, so different, so abnormally incredible. It just, you know, anytime the Angels are on TV, it's like must-see television in terms of baseball. So him doing the thing that he's doing at the clip that he's doing, I mean, for those of you that don't know, he's participating in the home run derby tonight. He's the starting pitcher for the American League tomorrow, and he's Mm -hmm. batting leadoff for -hmm. the American League. He's doing all three. There's no words because this has never been done before. So shout out to Otani for changing the game of baseball, changing the entire, I guess, narrative that you can only be known for one position and one position only because he's pitching and he's pitching effectively. He's hitting and he's hitting dominant. So God knows what the hell this man is going to do by the end of the season. Um, the biggest disappointment for me, I'm going to say it. I'm going to get it out of the way. Biased people know what I'm going to say. Fucking Yankees suck right now, okay? The Yankees are absolutely disgracefully annoying. We just came off of a three-game series against the Houston Astros in which, thankfully, we won two out of three, and we embarrassingly lost that third game where Jose Altuve took off his jersey, was staring at the Yankee dugout because the Yankees were talking a little bit of shit after the Yankees had finally won a couple of games against Houston after their cheating scandal. But overall... The talent on this roster, the freaking money that we spend, the, the name, the Yankees, and then us being as bad as we are is just absolutely atrocious. And I've just had absolutely enough of it. We should not be as bad as we are. We should definitely be a whole lot better. And that's just baseball talent as a whole. We should not be behind the Blue Jays. The Rays are having an incredible season. The Boston Red Sox are having a resurgent year after last year's disappointing year. And 
we need to put ourselves in a better position to at least get into the wild card game because this roster is way too talented. If we don't make the postseason, holy hell, Aaron Boone's got to go. Brian Cashman's got to go. I say we start trading fucking players. Don't get me started. The emotions and the migraines that this team puts me through on the day-to-day, in-and-out basis is absolutely preposterous, and that's my biggest disappointment of the year. Brother, already breaking your heart, and we're not even at the end of the season yet. What else are you going to ask for? I mean, it is what it is. Um, My biggest disappointment of the baseball season so far, this is going to be a different one. It's not a team or a player. It's Rob Manfred. He's been probably like one of the biggest disappointments of this season so far. Um, Just the rule changes that have been implemented going into this season, um, I have not particularly enjoyed them. The one in particular that comes to mind is when the baseball games go to extra innings, you're starting off those innings with a runner on second base. I just find that I just find that completely wrong. You know, I played baseball for over a decade and never once did we ever have the advantage of having somebody on second to start an inning, whether we were playing in the field or whether we were hitting. So that's just a rule that I think is quite honestly stupid because if you're the hitting team, all you got to do is hit, take one hit into the outfield and it's probably going to score a run. And I understand that it's trying to speed the game up. I get all that. But no. If the game's going to extra innings, everybody starts off as it's always been. Hey, there's zero outs when you start the inning, whether you're hitting or you're playing defense, and there's nobody on base. You have to earn the runs. I think it kind of does a disservice to you know, earning a run if you have a guy on second to start the inning when it goes in the 10th inning or the 11th inning I just I find that really kind of like the antithesis of what baseball is you know you have to earn your runs by you know compiling a hit or two to get a runner at home so and not only that it these freaking substance checks have got to go it's so idiotic it's so stupid you had freaking Max Scherzer ready to pull his pants down on live tv because he was sick and tired of getting constantly checked by the umpire because was it Joe Girardi was the one asking for a substance check that they were playing against the Phillies in that series? Yeah. And it's absolutely stupid. It slows the game down, which is the opposite of what they're trying to do. It annoys everybody. And it's a complete waste of time. So are there guys who cheat? Yes. I'm not going to ignore the fact that guys try to find advantages here and there, you know, in the game. I'm I'm not going to dispute that. But you're giving way too much power to the umpires to throw pitchers out for potentially using a substance that's illegal. I just I don't think it's worth it. I don't think it's worth everybody's time. And to be quite honest with you, I hope after this season they reevaluate this rule and not only that rule but the the runner on second base to start extra innings as well because I just don't think that baseball as far as where the game is going currently I don't think it's going in the right direction I think Rob Manfred has done more harm or more damage to the sport in his tenure as MLB commissioner than any 
beneficial points that he has brought to the game. So, yeah, my biggest disappointment is Rob Manfred. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir, bro, honestly. As a, as a baseball enthusiast, as a man that loves the sport, as a man that's followed it his entire life, he has come into this position and just absolutely botched every opportunity he's had from the Astros ruling to the Red Sox ruling and to everything else that preceded it. So I agree completely with you 100%. He has low-key kind of ruined the game, and um, hopefully it changes. One thing that definitely needs to change in this damn world is going to be the production of the United States of America's basketball team for the Olympics. They are in exhibition games, they are 0-2, and they have been embarrassed. For those of you that are unaware, we lost to Nigeria last week. We just lost to Australia this like, this past hour. I have had absolutely positively enough from just two exhibition games. I'm already done. I'm already checked out. This roster, as it's constructed with the top eight or nine players, should not lose a game. Kevin Durant. Draymond Green, Bradley Beal, Damian Lillard, Jason Tatum, Bam Adebayo, Zach Levine, Jeremy Grant, Kevin Love, just to name a handful of players. We just lost to Australia. The score was 91 to 83. Do you guys want to know who we lost to? For those of you that are basketball enthusiasts, just to put this into perspective, the players that I just named all start on their respective teams, correct? Right. I'm not double-checking because I know I'm not going to get a response. So, obviously, USA lost to Australia today, and we lost to Joe Engels, Patty Mills, Matthew Dillavadova, Matisse Thibel, Dante Exum, and Aaron Baines. Are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, are you kidding? Like, what is... Is that what we do? Is that we lose to bench players? Jason Tatum is one of the most electrifying players under the age of 25, and he scored eight points. Kevin Durant is one of the greatest players on the earth, and he led the team in, excuse me, he was second in the team in scoring with 17. Damian Lillard, Logo Lillard, led this team with 22 points. Bam had six. Zach Levine had five. Draymond had one. And Jeremy Grant had five. There's no reason this talented team i understand we don't have curry we don't have lebron we don't have olympic mellow kobe bryant rest in peace dwayne wade god man this this roster is good enough to beat this crappy ass australian roster no disrespect to the country of australia no disrespect for the team but on paper it's not even a question guys Thankfully, it's 11.15 because an hour ago when we were constructing this 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 agenda, I was popping off to the point where I know I was going to get evicted from this apartment. Like, bro, the people on this team, like, who the f- – who? Bro, we have Darius Garland on this team. We have Shadik Bay on this team. We have Cameron Reynolds, Dakota Mathis, Keldon Jump. Who? 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 Are you kidding me right now? Embarrassing, embarrassing, embarrassing. There's no reason the United States should be in the predicament that they're in, in the situation that they're in at this point, in an exhibition matchup leading up to the Olympics. We should be annihilating teams. Bro, we're talking about some of the best players in the league, man. The most... 
talented and up-and-coming players in the league, and they're just not performing. Bro, Luka Doncic carried Slovenia into an Olympic berth single-handedly with no professional players to name that are not in Slovenia, and they're winning their games. But you're telling me the United States of America, the most talented country when it comes to organized basketball, is losing to Nigeria and Australia? We're losing to Patty Mills. Patty Mills at 22 fucking points. Are you serious right now? Joe Ingles had 17 points. He was in the running for sixth man of the year. Bro, Kevin Durant was in the running for MVP. Bradley Beal was in the running for a scoring title. Jason Tatum was trying to carry the Celtics past the Brooklyn Nets. Damian Lillard was breaking playoff records. And we're losing to Australia. Like, let that settle. Let that sink in. Disgusting. Greg Popovich, get it together. Kevin Durant, drop 40. Somebody do something. We're going to go to the Olympics and get washed at this point. This is embarrassing. And I'm not going to stand here for it and say that it's okay. I'm just, I, I refuse to accept it. Oh, my God. I didn't know it was going to be like that. I mean, I remember when we were talking about this before we started the episode, and you were popping off. But, dude, that was hysterical. Bro, it's – listen, I know it's very frustrating losing to teams like Nigeria and Australia. I take these games with a little bit of a, little bit of a grain of salt here. No. These are, these are exhibition games. No. Why? Why? Give me a little play 23 minutes, Carl. <laughs> 30 he, minutes. Excuse me, I read that wrong. He played basically more than half the game, and we lost the game. Kevin Durant played 28 minutes. We lost the game. No. <laughs> no. If Kevin Durant drops 50 on the goddamn Milwaukee Bucks and plays the entire game and overtime, there's no reason he can't do it against lesser matchups. No reason. No excuses. Bullshit. Not allowing it. He played 53 minutes in game seven and dropped 48 points against NBA talented defenders. Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. He is literally going up against Patty Mills and Joe Ingles. Are you kidding me? 17 points in 28 minutes? There, no. There's nothing there's no. I can say. There's nothing I can no. say. No, no, right. no. I'm you're not right. giving them a pass. You're, you're no. right. You're right. You're right. I'm I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna make the argument here. I'm just saying <laughs> Man, to lose the Nigerian, Australia in back to back games, I know these are exhibition games, but Lord have mercy. You gotta score at least more than hundred points. They didn't even give over hundred points in either game. And KD got blocked by precious against Nigeria. I mean, got swatted. I just Look, I imagine that Team USA will get it together, but right now, um, yeah, it's uh, it's not looking good after dropping two games like this against Australia and Nigeria. It's not good, but I do expect them to, to turn it around. I do. So they better, or they might be worse than the redeem team. No, 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 no. They, they, well, they, 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 they might be worse. Well, when they we when we see Team USA playing in actual Olympic games and if they continue to play like this well 
I'll let you just have the floor because you're pretty much going to ether them on site if they don't get the gold medal this year. Listen, 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 listen to me. Just, just bear with me, right? Just let, let's put this into perspective, right? The United States is known for a lot of things, right? The United States is known for diversity, the melting pot, you know, electricity, you, you name it. You know what I'm saying? We, we've come up with a lot of things. The United States basketball has never been in question in terms of the greatest in the entire world. Never has ever been in doubt. We lost in 2008, 2004, 2000, which one was it? 2004. We lost in 2004 to Spain with a solid roster, right? You know what I'm saying? Like we had an okay roster. And then we came back four years later. We absolutely annihilated the entire world because we are the greatest basketball association on the face of the fucking planet. We're that good. We beat everybody by an average of like 20 plus that year. I'll never forget that summer. It was just electric. Braun, Kobe, Wade, Kid, everybody, right? Fucking insane. And we're going to come into this Olympics and we're going to lose two to scrubs. Not, not, you know, not, not, maybe not the scrubs. They're professionals, right? We lost to bench players. Bench players. Mm. Matisse Thibel was second team all defense and was like the ninth person to come off the bench for the fucking Sixers. Are you kidding? Bro, he scored more points than Jason fucking Tatum. I've had enough. That is all I'm going to say. I'm done. Bro, just bro, just drop the mic, bro. Like, I think, I don't think you could have ended that any better. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And for people that are listening, he dropped his AirPods. <laughs> so. I've had enough. That's all I have to say. For the rest of the episode, the rest of the segment, I'm not even going to speak another word. Other than that, guys, shout out to my little brother. First and foremost, uh, follow his Instagram, Six Train Kicks. Um, that's S-I-X Train Kicks with a Z at the end of it. He's been supporting the podcast every single day. He has it in his bio on Instagram. He does custom kicks. Follow him. Um, eventually we'll get him tagged in here. I know we're still working on a lot of uh, electronic stuff. Uh, shout out to my girlfriend. Logo is literally about to be completed within the next two or three days. So that's going to be great. Um, shout out to Kyle for doing all the electrical and technical bullshit that we have to deal with on a day in and day out basis with OBS and a lot of our camera issues and audio issues. Um, without him, obviously the podcast wouldn't be here. Um, and everybody that listens on Spotify, we've taken a massive dip in terms of views, listens, plays, whatever you want to call it. Um, Significantly, within the last month or so, we've gone from 14 average views per per, per, per episode to about eight. Uh, we're going to continue to remain consistent. We're hoping it's just a blip. We're hoping it's just a little bit of a phase. But you know, to everybody that's doing what we need to doing what they need to do to support, we really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, that's everything I got to say, man. I've worked myself into a tizzy. Yeah, you, you didn't give yourself a headache yet, right? We're, we're, it's formulating, honestly. I might have to go make myself some more food or heat up some leftovers from earlier today because I, I, I might be a headache. Listen, the Yankees are breaking your heart. Team USA is breaking your heart. I can, I can understand the frustration. I, I get it. I do. You know, I can understand. You know, a good popping off or a good cussing out is 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 good for. It the, feels good. It, good feels, for, it feels good. Feels, I feel like I've let off. Some it's demons. therapeutic. It's therapeutic. Exactly. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. You know. Every now and then, not saying do it every single day, but every now and then, I think it, I think it works wonders. So Correct. feels good. It's better to let it all out than 
keep it internal and channel it. You gotta find a good Agreed. channel for it. But yeah, like Kevin said, um, just appreciate you guys supporting the podcast in any way, shape, or form, whether it's listening to us on the major streaming platforms or watching us on YouTube. We definitely appreciate it. Obviously, you know, we're still going pretty heavy on the NBA with the finals going on. I imagine we'll be talking about Major League Baseball more as the NBA season comes to an end and Major League Baseball really starts ramping up going into the latter part of the summer. And then, bro, bro we got the Olympics coming up in two weeks. Talk about it right now. This yeah. makes me think of basketball. Yeah, I know. But it, honestly, the Olympics are going to be just fun to watch just in general. Like, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, you know, we definitely got a lot of content coming for you guys. Hopefully you guys can uh, be a part of it and um, just, you know, hopefully you guys can enjoy the content. You know, that's what we do it for, you know, just try to do the best that we can. But, you know, with that said, you guys, you know, like I said, appreciate you guys tuning in and we will see you guys later this week. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Pack podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed.